Our New Testament lesson today comes from the book of Galatians. So I invite you to take your Bibles and read along with me as we look at chapter 6 and verses 12 through 16. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new, um, new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow the rule, even the Israel of God. Well, I hope you'll take your Bibles and turn over to Psalm 30. Psalm 30 is a psalm of thanksgiving. You will note that it says a psalm and then a song. Many of the psalms were meant not only to be read, but to be sung. And then it says, for the dedication of the temple of David. So we don't know if this was a psalm that indeed later on when David's son, son Solomon built the temple, we don't know if this was one of the songs that was sung for the dedication of the temple. It could be that this song is associated with the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah, which was a rededication of the temple that was desecrated at one point in its history. But one of the things that we do know about the psalm is that whoever wrote it had been at a point of a crisis in his life. There had been some kind of crisis. And apparently there was a time in this person's life when he had taken God for granted. And in the midst of this crisis, realized his great dependence on God. So he is thanking God for delivering him from that moment of difficulty and praising God uh, for that act of healing in his life. So follow along with me as I read that psalm this morning. Psalm 30. I will exalt you, O, God, o Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave, or from Sheol, which was the Old Testament uh, understanding of the abode of the dead. You brought me up from Sheol, and you spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of His, praise His holy name, for His anger Last only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And here the psalm now, in ver the psalmist in verse 6, is acknowledging how he's been counting on himself and not on God for a season of his life. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. But, O oh Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. 
To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, thanks be to God. Well, this is a holiday weekend, as we've already said. It is Independence Weekend. We often think about the freedom that we enjoy here in our country, but this morning I want to remind you about freedom that you and I enjoy as Christians because of the cross. The cross, probably the most significant symbol of our faith as Christians. I have a cross right here. This is a cross that was given to Leslie and me on the occasion of our wedding, our marriage, this August, 38 years ago. It's a cross that I've kept in, I keep in my office here at the church, and I've kept in another church office previously where I served before coming to Oakmont. It reminds me of what Jesus did for me on, my, on his cross. It reminds me of my love for my wife, of our commitment. It reminds me of my calling as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a cross I have in my office. And then I have here a pine cone cross. This is a cross that was given to Leslie and me by two individuals in the last church where we served in Garner, North Carolina, by some friends, Ellick and Jackie Umstead. They started the marriage enrichment ministry at that church, and we became a part of it. And so they made this pine cone cross for us as we were leaving the church. You can't see it, but at the base of the cross, there are two rings that intertwine that remind us of that marriage enrichment ministry that we shared. And if you've ever been on our spirituality retreat, you know that we put this cross on the communion table every time we gather for worship during that weekend retreat. We see this pine cone cross. And then I have here a little itty bitty cross. This is a cross, or actually one like it, that I have kept in my wallet since I was the age of 16. This is not the exact cross because I had a wallet, and a few years ago I was at a lecture at Wright Auditorium on the ECU campus. I'd pull my wallet out for and it must have been in my lap and hit the floor, and when I came back to find it, it had disappeared. It had sprouted legs and walked off. So I lost my wallet, and I lost the original cross, but I found another one, and so I still keep it in my wallet. A man and his wife gave me this cross when I was 16 years old. I was working, you remember the old Winn-Dixie grocery store? And I was a bag boy, and stock shelves and mop floors and, uh, you know, loaded the groceries in the bags and took them out to the car for the customers. And a man and his wife, after I loaded that, uh, the set of groceries in their car, he pulled out this cross or a cross like it, 
put it in my hand, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, here, son, put this in your wallet, and don't ever forget whose you are. And I've never forgot that. Don't ever forget whose you are. And then in our sanctuary, we have a cross that graces our baptistry area. You don't see the stained glass window this morning of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane as we often do, but when we open those, those stained glass windows and, and they become pocket doors and disappear into the wall, we see the cross. And the cross reminds us as we step into the baptismal waters that every one of us, when we come to know Jesus, we stand beneath his cross. We stand beneath his love, beneath his forgiveness, beneath his grace, and beneath his mercy. And then we have some other crosses that are here at the front that are often here in the sanctuary, uh, especially at the two places at our Emerge service at 11 o'clock where we celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. We have crosses that are always located there. We have another Celtic kind of cross back here in front of the pulpit. And this is a processional cross. This is a cross that we used this past Passion uh, Palm Sunday that was processed into the sanctuary as we reminded ourselves that we were preparing for Holy Week. We were preparing to experience the cross of Christ. You know, that cross, every one of them, has a horizontal piece and it has a vertical piece. The horizontal piece, I think, reminds us of God's declaration of independence for us. It's our statute of liberty, so to speak. It's, it's the part of the cross that reminds us not only that we are freed from our sin, but we are free from the demands and the expectations of the world, of others around us. And we are set free. We are at liberty to serve Jesus for the sake of others. Paul said it best in the Galatians passage that was just read, May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom I have been crucified to the world, and I also to the world. Paul understands that he's been set free. He's been set free from sin. He's been set free to be a servant of Jesus for the sake of others in the world. There was a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian back during the era of World War II, and he was actually imprisoned in a Nazi prisoner of war camp for plotting to conspire to uh, do away with Hitler, and in fact, he was hung by a noose about nine days before the Allies liberated Nazi Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book in call, entitled The Cost of Discipleship, and he wrote in that book, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come to die. And that's what we're invited to do. We're invited to die to our sin, to die to our old way of living, to be set free, to be servants of Christ for the sake of others, not always focused on what's best for me, what's good for me and mine, but we're focused on what's good for others. Did, did you see that, that article in the paper? It was also on the news. 
It happened about three, three and a half weeks ago in Memphis, Tennessee. There was a 30-year-old young man by the name of Matt White. He was in a Kroger grocery store at 9 o'clock at night. As he was moving through that Kroger grocery store and shopping, Matt White was approached by a young man, 16-year-old Chauncey Black. The 16-year-old Chauncey Black walked up to Matt White and he said to them, Sir, if I carry out your groceries for you tonight to your car, would you buy a dozen donuts for me and for my mother? Now, if you were in a grocery store shopping at 9 o'clock at night and a person approached you and you didn't know that individual and they said, Would you buy me a a dozen donuts if I carry your groceries out, my guess is you would have reacted, and I would too in one of several ways. Either we would have kind of pushed off the person, said, no, don't bother me, I'm not interested. Or we might have bought the young man a dozen donuts and then sent him on his way. But Matt White didn't do that. He didn't didn't just say, well, here, here's your dozen donuts, now take on off. He, He stopped. Chauncey Black, and he said, young man, where where do you live? And Chauncey Black told him that he lived about 30 minutes away on the other side of Memphis. He had gotten a a, a bus ticket. He had ridden the bus across town. He, He told Matt White that he wanted to go to the rich man's Kroger because he felt like he could get some help there. He, He said that his mother was back at their apartment, and that they didn't have any food in their house. And when Matt White started to inquire more, he said, well, we have very little furniture in our house. My mother and I, we sleep on a sleeping bag. And so Matt White took Chauncey Black on a, on a shopping trip around that grocery store. And instead of filling up his cart, he filled up a cart for Chauncey Black. And Chauncey started talking to him, and he told Matt White, he says, you know, he says, one day I want to grow up, and I want to have enough money to help people like me. He says, I'm a straight-A student in school, and I study hard, and I want to grow up and be somebody. In fact, I'm trying to get a job this summer, mowing grass and doing odd jobs, so that I can earn enough money to put food on our table. Well, by this time, it was about 10 o'clock, and the bus had stopped running to the other side of town. So, so Matt White told Chauncey Black, let's put your groceries in my car and I'll drive you back home. And when they drove across Memphis and got to the other side and walked in that apartment, everything that Chauncey Black told Matt White was exactly as he said it was and more so. There was no food in that house. There was hardly a stitch of furniture in that house, just some sleeping bags on the floor. And it really wasn't Chauncey Black's mother that he was helping him. That's what he called her. But it was really his 61-year-old grandmother who was disabled primarily because of diabetes. Matt White was so moved by what he saw in this man's willingness to get a job, to make something of himself, to try to to try to do well academically, that he posted the story of this family on his Facebook page. And then he decided that he was going to set up a GoFundMe page. And do you know that 
within the last couple of days, the last time I checked, that almost $300,000 had been raised by individuals who saw that GoFundMe state page, heard the story of Chauncey Black and his 61-year-old grandmother and wanted to be generous and to reach out and to give to that family. Already offers are coming in for some summer jobs, for Chauncey mowing grass and doing some odd jobs. But here's what I want you to hang on to. Matt White is white. And Chauncey Black is African-American. What would be the odds that a man by the name of Matt White, who is white, and Chauncey Black, who is black, would meet each other in a Kroger's grocery store? And the other thing I want you to know is that Matt White is a Christian. And what he did, he did because of his faith in Jesus. We live in an age where everybody wants to take care of me. Make sure I guard my rights. Make sure I take care of my stuff. Make sure that it's me and my... What's right for me and my church? And what we forget is that the horizontal part of that cross is our declaration of independence. We've been freed, folks. We've been freed from our sin. We've been freed from the demands of what the world would put on us. We've been freed and released to be the servants of Jesus. Not for our sake, but for the sake of others. But you know this cross also has a vertical dimension to it. And this cross, not only on the horizontal realm, is our declaration of of independence, but on the vertical realm, it is our declaration of dependence. You know, the psalmist, we don't know what in the world happened to the psalmist. But the psalmist had lived through a season of time when everything had been just fine. And he had gotten comfortable. He even said there in verse 6, When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. He felt secure by what he had accumulated around himself with his expertise, with his abilities, and then something happened. We don't know what it was. Was it some threat of foreign forces invading the country, some impending war, some imminent danger to him and his family? Was it some health crisis? Was it some financial loss? Maybe the drought came and the crops didn't produce and there was no food for the family? We don't know what it was. We just know that the writer of Psalm 30 gets in touch very quickly with the fact that he has not been living in dependence to God. And he wants to reclaim that and celebrate it and name it. Now, you know, this past week, and, and I'm saying this with permission because Nelson Cooper and I talked about it just a couple of days ago. But we found out, a lot of us in this last week, about the health Concerns that Nelson is facing. And Nelson and his family, of anybody in our church, they know that they are dependent, that they count on their faith in Jesus. But you know what we did this past week? With about 24 hours plus notice, we called a prayer meeting to pray for Nelson and his family. 
We called a prayer meeting, invited deacons and their spouses. Nelson's one of our deacons. We invited members of their Sunday school class, his F3 group, which is a workout group of men, our church staff. And on about 24 hours plus notice, we filled up the two center sections of this sanctuary Wednesday night after vacation Bible school. There were 150, 175, maybe 200 people. Young people, not so young people, showed up to pray. And here's the observation I want to make. What is it that calls us to respond to God in a stance and posture of dependence when a crisis strikes? And why is it that we wait to those moments in our lives when we or or others are going through a crisis and then that's when we fall on our knees in prayer? Why is it that it took the assassination of a president in 1963 to fill up the churches? Why is it that it took a space shuttle in 1986 exploding in midair before the churches got filled up again? Why is it that two twin towers, because two planes hit it, and the Pentagon that got hit, and a plane that crashed in Pennsylvania in a vacant field, why is it that on the same night that all that happened in 2001, that our church in the old sanctuary was packed with people, and the following Sunday it was packed in three services. But then I stand up on some other occasion and say, folks, we need to pray tonight. We're going to have a prayer meeting. I want you to come and about 30 people show. What's that about? I'm going to tell you what it's about. We get into our rhythm of life. Everything's hunky-dory. Everything's good. And we don't need God. We take Him for granted. And that's what happened to the psalmist. And that's what's happening to God's people and God's church, is that we wait for our crisis to strike. And I thank God for somebody like Nelson Marianne Cooper, who do not live that way, who are dependent on God, whether there's a health crisis or one's not there, but most of us don't live like they do. We're crisis and reactive-oriented people. And shame on us. Shame on us, and no wonder that we sit back and we wonder if God is judging not just our country, but our world. Let me tell you what, if my two children start taking me for granted, my feelings are going to be hurt. And when God's children take him for granted, his feelings get hurt too. So folks, this cross is a declaration of independence. We are freed from our sin and from ourself and we are set free to be of service to our God for the sake of others and not our own sake. And the vertical part reminds us that we are dependent on Him always, everywhere, at all times. And I'm wondering this morning which part of this cross is missing for you? Is it the independent part that's always taking care of you and yours and what's best for you without regard for the needs of others? Or is the part of dependence missing? 
the part that really believes that you can do it all by yourself until you get into a rough patch, and then maybe you'll call on him. Or maybe for some of you, the whole cross is missing. But you see, when we come to this, our Lord's table, we come confessing that he has set us free, and yet we count on him each and every second. So I want to ask you and invite you now to get into a posture of prayer. If you'd like to pull down the kneelers and pray uh, in a kneeled position, I'd invite you to do so. Uh, if you're going to do that, just kind of lean forward a little bit so that others around you can have that freedom to kneel. And I'd like to invite you to confess the sin of your life before God. He invites us to his table to confess our sins first and to find his forgiveness and his pardon. So join me and let us pray in a moment of silent prayer. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we are reminded this morning that where there is freedom and where there is privilege, there is also responsibility. We know that you hold us responsible and accountable. And one of those ways that we show that accountability to you, oh God, is in the naming and confessing of our sin, those that are known and those that are unknown. We come, God, pleading your mercy and your grace upon us. We come, God, acknowledging those places where we have been less than you have created us to be, where we have failed to love you and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So we pray your forgiveness upon us, O oh Father. We pray that you would not let us take you for granted another moment, but would always, at all times, be in constant dependency upon you. Father, we thank you so much that you are that God of pardon and forgiveness. And in just a moment, as we partake of this bread, as we share in this cup that symbolizes your body upon that cross, your blood shed for the forgiveness of our sin, oh God, we pray that we would live into the reality of our salvation and indeed allow you to transform us in such a way that we really do start thinking like, acting like, talking like, and having the heart of Jesus. So Father, bless us in these holy moments of sharing around your table in this bread and this cup. And we pray this prayer now in the name of the one who taught us to pray. And join me and let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Sisters and brothers in Christ, the peace of Christ be with you. I want to invite you to stand and offer those same words to your brothers and sisters in Christ around you this morning.